when I said, oh, Dad, I'm going to take uh, <laughs> your daughter to the Philippines, he was like, what? Is it, is it contagious? I said, it's what? What do you mean contagious? <laughs> sounds contagious. No, that is the country. Where, where I'm from. Oh, oh, all right, all right. No worries then. But, you know, they were worried, right? They were really worried. Like, how did oh. you get started in radio? Like, how did you get started? Oh, what that... stations? Okay. Um, I started out in The Hive 100.3, broadcasting oh, live yeah. nationwide from the country's first and only radio cafe, The Hive Radio Cafe. Hey guys, welcome back. Took us a while. Uh, we took a one-week hiatus uh, in preparation for this massive episode. Uh, tremendously excited to be back. Today, we're joined by one of the prestigious names in the automotive industry, uh, Tito James Deacon. Uh, join us as we talk about uh, cars, how he started in the automotive industry, his life story, and a sprinkle of crypto if you're interested in that. So tune in. Uh, would love for you to see the end of the episode, or hear at the end of the episode in this case. Um, dude, it'd be awesome. It'll be awesome, man. Like. You don't want to miss this. Procast by Parts Pro. Okay, so when we get into things like cars and our hobby, you know, we always have a story to tell. Like every person has a different story to tell. And usually this leads to, you know, trying to make a career out of it. Like, automotive journalism of course you know you'd want an avenue to tell your story and share your experiences about cars and anything automotive you no know? and here at, uh, with the podcast and everything we're trying our hand at it of course but i think of course it would be much much better if we share we share the experiences of someone who's actually very successful in the field and knows the ins and outs of local you know automotive media so today we have none other than james deacon to share with us what he's gone through and how he's made you know made a decent living out of being an automotive journalist here in the philippines yeah so james take it away well well welcome tito james uh <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. This is cool. I love it. I love the fact that it's more audio, so I can I can just get comfy. I don't have to make uh, hide my fat and all that stuff. You know, I can speak <laughs> confidently. Because normally you're always worried. Oh wait, the guy, the guy is the bill bill showing or whatever. But uh, now we're all you know just audio. Okay. Uh, with all of that, I've got a question. That's uh, a backstory. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and by the way, Jake's joined us. Uh, this is this is Jake Go. Hi. Uh, Jake goes from Springboard, and uh, Jake meet Tito James. Hi, Tito James. Hey, Jake, what's up? I'll just turn my video on quickly for you. There you <laughs> go. You're special. There you go. I even <laughs> turn the light on for you. <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. you can, yeah. Okay, okay. Because you know, don't worry about the you know the the showing the bill bill or the whatever. Because Tito. Everything here is free speech. I know that's the that's the name of the game here. Authenticity is key. 
Well, I'm glad. I'm glad because that I think is the currency of the internet for the future. Um, especially if you're wanting to be in the influencer space, I think that's going to be the one that pays dividends. It's authenticity. You know, we're kind of done with the whole, you know, uh, filtered life and all that. So, before I get into that, because I'm kind of jumping ahead, you were asking about the origin, or, or I think there was a question there about can you still be successful in motoring journalism, as in financially? Uh, did I get that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, our, our audience want to know first uh, your origin story. I mean, a lot of people, like I've known you for what was it now, maybe 10, 10 15 years. Um, oh, probably um, And more, most yeah. everyone's, yeah, or more, right? Uh, but people people have known you for, you know, about a little less than that. And um, very few people actually, you know, have a, have a clue as to where, you know, where you were from and how you got into this business and how you've grown. So, and let's take a few minutes or a lot of a lot of minutes sure. as whatever you please huh, to share your story first. Sure. Okay. Well, um, basically the, the the brief story is I'm made in the Philippines with imported parts. So dad's English, mom's from the Philippines. Parang CK di talaga. And from there. Same here, Vanessa. Same here. Same here. <laughs> and, and that's where the start of the car, the love for cars began, right? <laughs> CKD. Um my dad loved cars, but I, you know, they, they split up when I was eight. So I did have my first memories of learning to drive at eight with my dad. And um, that was where the passion started. Yeah, man. He used to let me drive him from the gate. We used to live in Merville at the time. It was uh, in the back end of Merville. So if you've ever, if you know that subdivision, I know Rafi does. I lived in Merville 13 years, man. I know. So you know, you know the roads of Merville, right? It's they're tight. Yeah. There's it's a lot of secret secret, a lot of humps, narrow, and it's far yeah. from the gate if you're in the back, like we were in Israel's trooper. And so yeah, that's far. I got a lot of experience, man. I got a lot of experience driving him from there to the gate every day when he would uh, when I would go to school. He would let me take that first porch. That's about two kilometers, two point something. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, from there I would I just fell in love with cars. Then we moved to Australia um, when I was about 14. Um, things changed a lot because, you know, they had divorced and um, things went kind of south for us financially because um, mom was a single mom mm -hmm. and it didn't end well. So migrating to, the, to Australia for a better life, I guess. But, you know, life's tough everywhere, you know. So, so we, we found mm -hmm. ourselves there. But... I had to leave school at 14. So, you know, it was a real struggle. My mom mm -hmm. was, was couldn't cope at the time. And there were also, we, we went there and her father died like two months after. So we were in a tough spot. Uh, but from, I didn't finish first year high school, never obviously went to college because of that. And um, I just did a, did a no, man. I, I mean, that was just life. But hey, look, it's nothing I'm ashamed of. It's nothing I'm proud of. I'm just, no, 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 that's just it life. is what it it's, is, right? Yeah. It is what it is, exactly. You know, I wouldn't encourage anyone, hey, take this path. It's those are the cards dealt, and that is what yeah. you have to play. And I never actually held it as a chip on my shoulder or anything like that. The only thing that mm -hmm. probably negative happened from there was the insecurity. You know, you, you walk around with this insecurity that. Oh my God, what if people find out I didn't go to you know finish high school? Mm -hmm. Um it's, it, you know, you're going to be handicapped. You know, you don't have that safety net. But mm -hmm. when I moved back to the Philippines, which was in 1998, and I wanted to start my 
I got married already in Australia. So I had my teenage years, early 20s. I got married really young, guys. I was 22. So um, what a guy. My wife and I know, right? It's it. I was <laughs> cradle snatched. My youth was taken from me. No, I'm kidding. We were we moved across to <laughs> Brisbane, and I brought her to the Philippines as punishment. <laughs> and uh, she's from New Zealand, man. So she was like, I don't even think they could pronounce the Philippines. I know her dad couldn't. He, he thought it was, I remember him asking when I, when I said, oh, "Dad, I'm going to take uh, your daughter to the Philippines." He was like, "What?" Is it is it contagious? I said, "It's what? What do you mean contagious? Sounds <laughs> contagious." No, that is the country. It's where, where I'm from. Oh, oh, all right, all right. No worries then. But you know, they were worried, right? They were really worried, uh, as any parent should be. So I took her over here, dragged her kicking and screaming. You know, I think she developed Stockholm syndrome while she was here, yeah. and uh, she, because she's still with me 26 years later. So. The only logical explanation is Stockholm syndrome, talaga. Um, <laughs> she stayed. She supported me. I started out in radio, um, and I picked jobs specifically that didn't require or they would not ask for college or high school degrees, right? Because talaga. in radio, why would you ask somebody in radio if they like your voice? They like your voice, so they think that you can speak. That's it. That's your only qualification. What you see is already James, what, and what you hear. Like, how, how'd you get started in radio? Like, how'd you get started? Oh, what that, stations? Okay. Um, I started out in The Hive 100.3, broadcasting oh, live yeah. nationwide from the country's first and only radio cafe, The Hive Radio Cafe. Yeah, and I still remember <laughs> the speed. I was oh. Jimmy Cricket. I um, arrived here. I'll get to that because it is, a, I think, an interesting story. I arrived here with nothing but $10,000 to my name because I'd sold my whole everything in Australia, like business, um, car, everything I owned. And then you pay off, you know, and we had $10,000 in cash to start our new lives. And that new life, I wanted to pursue a career in radio. It was a dream of mine, a passion. I always wanted to be on air Australia. Uh, was a little more restrictive. You know, I didn't have the accent for it. I didn't have the training for it. It's a very tight industry. So I thought maybe Manila, you know, I'm from there. I have that universal accent that, you know, they can understand. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, maybe I might get a chance. And so I applied when I landed. I gave cassette tapes. At that time, cassette, pa. you do a demo and you would record into a, like one of those tape yeah. recorders and do your ad libs and then you'd mail it off to all the stations and then you'd wait for a landline yeah. call to tell you whether you got the interview or not. I didn't get anything, man, nothing. Um, I was desperate as anything. Voila, bro, because I was here, you know, trying to build my, my, my life and everything, thinking this was going to be it for me. But it turned out completely opposite because, all right, new family or new wife moved over, had $10,000. I thought, OK, I'll give me a buffer to look for work and all that. Well, I wasn't finding work. And one day, about two weeks or so into it, put, I was robbed. I was robbed $10,000 cash. The maid. No shit. No shit, man. It, the maid stole the money. We caught her. We brought her to the, to the police station. Nothing happened. I never got that money back, ever. 
So now I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a situation where I don't have even that money. And that wasn't even that much to start your life. Cause remember, as I said, we sold everything. So everything yeah. has to be bought again. So we were like really desperate and I still didn't have a job. So I remember hosting my brother's wedding, Patrick, you know him. And I know him. That was my, that was my, that was my moment because I said, all right, I'm desperate. I'm, in a, I'm back in Manila, but it's a new country. It could, may as well be a new country for me because I'd spent 12 years overseas and I didn't really have contacts yet anymore except for some childhood friends. So if I host his wedding, he had 400 people coming to that wedding in Coconut Palace. There were all the titos and titas of Manila would be there. <laughs> all of them would be somehow connected to somebody. All I had to do was use that platform for me to shine. I forgot it was the bride's day. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, I didn't get that memo. I thought it was my day to shine. I thought it was my <laughs> day to launch myself. I got on that mm. stage, dude, and I own that stage, man. <laughs> <laughs> Much to the bride's horror. Um, yeah, man. I, I I pulled out all the stops, school and my juggling, and it was it was me at my most desperate because I figured if I can make something happen here, all I need is for somebody to see me. And it's going to open a door. And I walked off the stage and somebody came up to me, right? Like met me as I was walking. They were walking toward me and said, hey, do you, do you host for a living? I mean, do you do this professionally? And uh, of course I said, yes, yes, of course. You know, this is why I came to Manila. <laughs> the best. <laughs> you have to host. And he was like, oh my God, we're having our 30th anniversary of our hotel. And I said, what's your hotel? And she said, it's the Intercontinental Hotel Manila. I said, wow, okay, that sounds nice. I grew up, you know, in the Jeepney Coffee shop and all that. So yes, I'd love to yeah. host that. What was important was Jaime Isabel de Ayala, Cory Aquino, yeah. Ramos, the guest list. Those were the people in the front row. And I was thinking, okay, yeah. this, is, this is where I need to really make a, an impact. And so I did my thing. And when I got off the stage, Somebody was walking up and it was a girl who said, my boss is in the back. She heard your voice and she wants to know if you are interested in a job on radio. And I was like, oh my God, you got to me, right? Because I had already given up. I had already given up. Now, as a side story, I was living with my mom, right? My mom and my stepfather, my wife and I, no kids yet. Um, and I had an uncle in there. <laughs> now I love my okay. uncle, but uh, he was the kind of uncle I think we all we all have one of those in our family, and I love him, right? No, 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 no shaker, but but you'll you'll relate to what I'm saying. Young people, people, my gosh, why didn't you tell me? I can set you up an appointment with that guy. My God, we played golf yesterday. You know, I that one. Now we had lunch two weeks ago. Oh my God, we're so close. So everything, and you're here's the person coming from Australia where in Australia, when you say something, you mean it. <laughs> when you say, I'll set you up with so-and-so, you set them up with so-and-so. It doesn't happen oh. like that. Yeah. So here I was with a conditioned Australian mind. And then, you know, oh, Tito, what did your friend say? What did, what did President uh, Ramos say or whatever? And of course, it's just like, yeah. So I was getting frustrated, like, and then one day after like three months of just, voila, oh, kilala ko yun. Yeah, I'll set you up. Nothing happened. One day I came home and right after that intercom thing. And I, so I went to the interview. They got, gave me the job. It was the high 100.3. Mm -hmm. It was RJ. And I got hired by uh, the daughter, Bea. 
And mm-hmm. I came home running. I was so happy. I said, guys, you never believe it. I got a job. And everybody was screaming loud. Oh my God, <laughs> I'm so proud. My son has a job. You know, I was like, okay, this, this is not sounding very good. This really paints a bad picture of me, but okay. Celebrate Tyler. Yay. James got a job. James got a job. So my tito comes out from like a siesta. What's going on, Gonyo? <laughs> James got a job. Oh, my God. Where? I said, with the radio station. What radio station? Uh, RJ, uh, 100.3. Ramon Asinto? He's my friend, Gonyo. Why didn't you tell me? <laughs> Ooh, I almost threw him off the balcony, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love him, but man, I could have really right there justifiable homicide. Nayan. So condensing the story for you. But dude, this is three months of like pure, no, maybe even longer, maybe four months of pure anxiety and worry. Now my wife was pregnant. I mean, really, the Pinoy in me really came out, man. <laughs> I've been married for like four years or something and never, never, not even because we were careful. I was 22. She was 23. And we said, let's not, let's be responsible. Let's build our, our lives. And, and in Australia, we were building. I had a business. I had a car. I had a flat. Everything was working out. Pucha, once I sold all that and got robbed, nabuntis yung asawa. Ayun. Full Pinoy ka na talaga. Full Pinoy, man. So, okay, now I'm desperate, but I get the job. But here's the deal. It's the job of my dreams with the salary of my nightmares. 8,000 pesos a month. 8,000 a month ba? Even back then, even back then in 1999, when I got that job, our family driver was earning 9,000 because he was also doing some of the... the so, Simang Doming would drive me at 6 a.m. Well, I started at 6 a.m. He would drive me at 5 a.m. Mang Doming would drive at 5 a.m. to the RJ Ventures building in Makati Avenue. And yeah, I'd have yeah, to yeah. make utang from him. And I'd say, Doming, baka pang, pang, pang lunch lang, pang merienda mamaya. Sige, last na to, ah, sir. Ah, sobra na yan. Sige po. <laughs> so I'd be borrowing money off the driver for my, my, my lunch and stuff. But that was the start. That was the start of it, you know, because, you know, all you need yeah. is a stepping stone. And then from there, you need momentum. And then, yeah. okay, now that I was in there, nobody's asking questions anymore. You know, you're, you're hired now. They like your voice. So that's it. Nobody says, where'd you go to college? And, you know, I'll ne- I never lied but I never offered it up as well. So I had convenient ways of dodging it. Oh, so where did you go to college? Ah, oh, you know, I left because I here when I was like, I think my well, first year yata when I left here. And then, you know, I, I just finished in Australia, which is true. I just didn't tell them where I finished, which was first right. year. But I finished. Right. I mean, right. you want right. to be specific about it? I mean, first year, okay, fine. But if people ask, which most people don't, Okay, now nah, they just have in their head. Well, he finished. I mean, he didn't specify. And so I started doing the radio station and I loved it. I loved it, but, you know. I'll... Procast by Parts Pro is brought to you by PartsPro.ph, Fixstop Auto Service, James Car Care, and Springboard Philippines. You're listening to Procast by Parts Pro. Hello, James. James. Oh, wait, we lost you. Ooh. Uh, hello? 
Hello. Oh, sayang shit. Oh man, may build up na eh. Was in the moment. Oh, na eh. so, ayos na talaga. Yeah. Maybe you can uh, I'll, I'll send him a message. There you um, go. There. The sound is the sound is out. No sound. Connected. How about now? There. There now it's okay. So um we have to go back to uh Siguros to be safe. Let's go back to you were making utang. You you were making utang from the driver. Okay. All right. How's this? Sayang, oh. Now now I have to get my because now my volume is is really low. Okay. So now, ano, now, so ito, kailangan mo na umutang sa driver ulit. Oh, let's go. Ano? Go to the Bluetooth menu on your mobile device and connect to Jabra Speak 510. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jabra Speak. Come on, Jabra. You can do it, Jabra. <laughs> I can't hear you yet. So I think Jabra just kind of died, but. Uh, you have to plug it oh, into man. a James, you have to plug that into a USB. Yung power huh? ng Jabra nasa USB yan. USB yan. You have to USB power. And then that. what do I do? And you, plug act, it? you yeah, no, you plug it into a USB for power and then you leave it on as uh, but connected yeah, it by is. a Bluetooth. It's plugged in. It's like a plugged oh, in and then it USB died? but bang no wala lang. it just kind of died out. And the problem is I can hardly hear you. Even my speakerphone right. is not. Go to the Bluetooth it's... menu on your mobile device and connect Do you to have Jabra Speak 510. Okay, Jabra Speak 510. You have headphones? Bear with me, guys. Oh my God. It's okay. Oh, no problem. Take your time. Take your time. Shit. We were enjoying the show. <laughs> okay. That sounds okay. Okay. All right. So we're back. So the driver. Yeah, we're back now. Yeah. You lost that borrowing money from the driver. Yep. Uh, slightly after that, but we'll we'll we're start here. there. Para lang ano, para lang we're we're still ano, we can we can find a way to cut it and put it back in. Build up. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think we uh. It, so at the end, borrowing money of doming was 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 the last thing I remember. But all, all you really needed was a stepping stone, you know. And um, the the problem came for me when I was like, and this 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 problem kind of recurs, but it helped me because I loved that job so much, and I loved the people there so much. They were really good to me, and mm-hmm. I really highlight. But eight thousand a month, even when they increase it to 12,000, um, you know what it's like, you got kids. I had a kid at yeah, that stage already. No way. It was born. There's no way. So I had to make a very difficult decision. Uh, I had to look at the career arc of it or the trajectory of it going, am I, where's the, where's the career path here? I, what's my earning potential here? Now you have, you have models like Sam YG, uh, DJ Mo Twister and stuff like that who have done very well, but Sam was just starting out at the time. So, he wasn't, I couldn't use him as the peg. Mo, Medjo, but there weren't a lot of other people that you could look at and go, they're going to make a lot of money out of radio. 
So yeah, and this, the station managers weren't 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 doing well uh, either, unless they're they become head of the the whole organization. Well, Exactly. And I mean, I guess it was the, the way that it was, especially in the 90s, where it was designed around college kids starting out, not needing the money, uh, good looking or, or, or good personalities, voices. And then they become they were the influencers of the day in the 90s. So, yes, yeah. you get paid minimal. But what you do get is opportunity um, to host and, and make money outside of it. I was a little late coming in. I was already 26, 27. So I was like, if I spend the next five years building it up, and then what, what am I going to be trying to shake my booty there with 22-year-olds, you know, trying to keep up? Um, I had to make a difficult hey, that's decision. What, that's what Mo Twister was doing. Well, <laughs> I didn't have quite the same booty, maybe. I don't know. So I decided <laughs> perhaps the, the more... And also, it was, a, it was a nightlife. It was, you know not marriage conducive you know it wasn't going to be i could see it causing problems in the marriage if i kept that lifestyle up because i'd have to hustle yeah i was building pa. you're not you're gonna have to take every gig at every time in every province and every whatever that that happens and um so i was like okay maybe maybe not so i made a very difficult decision and i left the radio station just in time they opened c magazine that was oh. 2001. So I only, I got a call from Kevin and we both know Kevin and Kevin said, I amigo, coño, I, you know, I know you love cars. Why don't you write for my magazine? And I said, I didn't know you had one. He said, well, we just started one now and, and uh, why don't you give it a try? So I had, I just left the station and I thought, well, this is fine, but I'll contribute maybe while I'm looking for something. And I wrote my first article. And my first article was uh, a day in the life of an ambulance. I, I spent a day in the back of an ambulance trying to understand uh, what they do. And then I wrote the story, Rescue 911, Behind the Sirens of Metro Manila. And I gave it to Kevin, who gave it to the editor at that time, was Ken Quintal, who you also know. Mm -hmm. And Ken, who I'd never met before in my life, called me up and said, hey, I read your piece. And... Uh, I think you have what it takes. And I was like, wow, really? He said, would you like to be our managing editor? And I was like, um, <laughs> all right. Yeah. I'm not quite sure if I can even spell that, but uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Right? <laughs> You're willing to, I mean, you, you, you bought my, you know, fine, I'll do it. So I was of the attitude that never say no. And I guess what I'm building up here with is, Part of that insecurity, it, it slowly turns into from liability into one of your greatest assets. Because when you are oh, yeah. insecure, like it is, it's very true. There's several things that happen. One, you'll reach a stage where the education won't matter. And then you'll reach a stage where it actually serves you better that you didn't go to school because people go, oh my God, despite the fact that he didn't get that opportunity, he's doing well. The tricky part mm. is when you're building, it, it's not easy because you're vulnerable. So if somebody denies you opportunity, you could be really pushed out of the system. But what that does to you, and I think it's important to share with the, the reader or the listeners now so that they understand the mindset, is it's a survivor's attitude. You're always mm -hmm. living outside of the system without a safety net. 
It's mm-hmm. not something I would encourage my children to do. I put my children through college, or at least my eldest is now in college. So I'm not like anti-college, no way. I worked hard to be able to put him there because I think if you have the opportunity to go, then go. But if you don't have the opportunity, it's not the end of the world. But what it does teach you is this, what I was saying about trying to live outside of the system and without a safety net, you have to hustle. So you're not at the mercy of others. You're at your own, you are the one dictating where you're going to be, where you're going to fall and where you're going to build on secure ground. And at the end of the day, that's what really counts because we're seeing it now. We're seeing it right now where all of the things that we once saw either value in or saw to be indestructible and the path is now gone. It's disrupted. Magulo, but coping mechanisms are going to be the most, one of the best skills you can have, survival instincts, being able to roll with the punches and pivot. This is what survivors do. I didn't know anything about radio. I didn't know anything about magazines. I didn't know anything about, I knew a little bit about cars, but mm, just from an aficionado's point of view, I wouldn't even say And I never did say that I had even your knowledge about cars. I would never say that, even after 20 years, because it's I, it's not to flatter you. It's because that's not me. I never sold myself as an expert. There are many experts. I had to find a unique selling point for myself, which is storytelling. I had to get people excited about it. And then if my job worked, if I was able to do my job properly and got you excited about a car, you would go to an expert like you or your team or even people like Kevin. And, and these people knew their cars. But you need that first layer to connect them, get their interest up, get them all excited, get them to go onto the website or ask a professional or somebody that really knows the nuts and bolts. So I was on that emotional aspect and I positioned myself there as the storyteller and face of C Magazine. Of course, Ken was also put me there. He was like, you need to be you need to personify the brand so that's where i kind of got in i it was sink or swim i had to go into it like and ken held my hand throughout the whole first few years he was a great mentor fantastic mentor and um gave me a lot of opportunity in fact i i as much as i grew up with kevin and i love kevin as a as a friend and as a person i i i have to be honest and say that my it was ken that really Because he was, he had the same backstory as I did, you know. Kenny oh, really? worked in McDonald's. Yes, Kenny. Kenny's also a CKD, um, half breed, okay. American father, Filipina type of thing. Mother, grandmother, I think was Filipina. Then they kind of, they were well off here before. They had, you know, their properties and stuff. Things turned in the 80s. They went to the states. He went to community college though in the states. So not, uh, no, mm-hmm. at least he finished with community college, and he worked at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And- sold cars. So he flipped burgers and sold cars. I did both. Um, mostly the selling cars. So. so, you know, when you have that connection with a person and you know that C Magazine yeah. was just starting, there was Carl Cunanan, there was Kevin Limhoko, there was Paolo Martel, and there was Kenny Quintal, the four. And I, all great bunch of guys, I, I think the world of them, owe them a lot too. But of those four, only one I could really, really, really relate to because the others I felt, um, you know, at, at least that was my mindset. I'm not saying I'm correct, but my mindset was if, if this doesn't go well, they have so much to fall back on. You know, mm-hmm. it, it could be a toy for them, you know. Um, but with Kenny, it had to work. 
it had to work. It wasn't, he wasn't mm -hmm. doing this purely for the passion of it or for the, you know, I can have a nice calling card, business card that I can stack right. down on the table, right. which is a eight by 12 magazine. Um, it was survival and it was his reputation as a businessman here or a, it was more on his capabilities as a yeah businessman to make this thing survive. So he was who I hinged my confidence on. And I said, again, he, he, I owe him a lot. He really helped me because he, he taught me, he shook a lot of bad habits out of me. He saw potential in me. He spent time trying to cultivate that potential and turn it into something tangible. Um, he gave me that confidence. Wow, Byron, I don't know. It's like a, a speech in a commencement, <laughs> but valedictorian speech. But I really do mean it. He, everyone will come across somebody like that, you know, an Obi-Wan Kenobi mm. or a Yoda, somebody in their life that can shift them into the right direction and really harness their strengths and make them at least be aware of their weaknesses. And it was with that that I decided that I matured in C because he showed me how to control and how to be able to harness all of those things that I had but without the, the alertness that I used to have. So I spent 12 mm -hmm. years in C. And then in 2014, there was another crossroads again, a very similar crossroads to what I hit oh. with the radio station. And that Kevin, was James, before we go, before yeah. we go into that, no. Um, what was it like yung as a as a as a managing, you know, managing editor slash journal, automotive journal at C. What's the life like? What was the life like from 2001 until 2014? Like, is it, okay. is it, I'm sure it's vastly different from the way um, journals are now, diba? Na, ano? It's very different, uh, Rafi, because, you know, Kenny had a very unique vision for C Magazine. And he was extremely long-term in his thinking. And he was very methodical in his approach. So what Kenny did that I think separated C Magazine even today is he was, he, he really put a very, a lot of value on the experience. So we grew up creating stories rather than reporting stories. We would mm -hmm. go out to Europe, pay for that ourselves, well, meaning him, the company, and spend mm -hmm. to create these epic adventures that people would either want to do themselves or at least you are the original it's different than when you're going there from a manufacturer yeah. and reporting. He wanted to change that. He wanted to break that mold and say, you know what? If you are a true aficionado, you want to learn about what's the best roads to drive on when you get to France. Oh, you got to stop at this place and then go to this place. If you're being, your hands being held by a PR, you're only going to see what the PR wants you to see. And that none of that is of real value to the aficionado. So mm -hmm. it's breaking in behind, beyond that layer and creating your own content and really creating it. So the early days of C were the most incredible, incredible years of my professional life. I got to see the world. I got to grow up with this. I got to, I don't know if this is going to sound arrogant or whatever. It doesn't mean to, but I felt we also changed the industry. I also feel that C Magazine lifted standards in the uh, automotive journalism industry because we just started seeing magazines coming up left, right, and center. And I saw people getting better. I, I saw 
everything. The photography improved, the storytelling improved. I think everybody improved as a result. And the winner mm -hmm. there was the industry because, you know, it got more and more people talking about it. So it was great. I, I have no complaints about my time at sea because I lived my dream. I saw the world on somebody else's bank account. <laughs> I drove mm -hmm. all the best cars I, I could only ever dream about or read about in somebody else's publication. I got to drive the Pagani Zonda, the Pagani Huaria. I got to drive a Formula One car. I got to drive all of these amazing cars, the Nürburgring. I did multiple times in multiple different trips, including BMW training there. It, these are things that you can't buy. And for this is this, I'll always be eternally grateful to the entire team for this because these are memories that nobody can take away from me. This is life experience that has also added so much stock and value to me today. It's because we really went out of our way to push that envelope. So it was the best 12 years of my professional life. I'll have to say this though. Towards the end, it it got different, of course. Um, that game couldn't be played as well anymore because you've got so many people competing and then advertisers have so many choices that they their voices get louder, if that makes sense. So they can kind of shape content yes. in a way yes. that... Yes, so yes. I'll never... I never experienced any point in C Magazine where I felt there was a sellout. We had a supplements page, which was for that. We had a supplement uh, pullout supplement, which you could use for that at the time. But the actual stories and the editorials and the reviews, I never felt that they ever that we sold out or that anyone sold out there. But I could see it was going to get harder and harder and harder and harder because I could see already where the the screws were were coming down. I mean, this is if you're the industry had grown from I think we were. 60,000 cars a year when we were we started to what did we end up with over 200,000 cars a year I think by the end of when mm -hmm. I left so was, calls, yeah. the, the industry got bigger there's a lot more at stake there's a lot more new players in there people who we didn't grow up with that you know went to marketing school and now require these types of things right oh can you do this do that so it was in yeah. a way inevitable that you would dilute that purity inevitable and that's not a criticism of anyone it's just a fact i think mm. they do their best to try to cope with it but you're you're playing this constant tug of war with the industry the advertisers your readers and it's, it's it gets harder and harder to manage as you grow but for me the kicker was there or the pivotal point for me there was around 2013 for two reasons mm -hmm. one I could definitely see, well, everything that I was explaining to you, although I couldn't, I wouldn't say that was already a, a real problem, but I could see it, but it wasn't necessarily a problem. The problem I could see was it's a sunset industry magazine print. There's just, I, I have to ask myself a question and a very simple one at this, at that, if this is the path I want to continue on, am I in the most effective medium to engage my audience? Because that is my business model. And the answer is quite simply, no. Print versus internet, it's a no-brainer. So I had to move there. Another thing that made me fall off the edge was Oplanatid, which you are a very big part of. I remember yeah. that changed my life completely because I realized there in full vivid technicolor and 
4K HD that, oh my God, social media was an incredible tool. Yeah. I mean, we literally yeah. mobilized 20,000 uh, survivors from Yolanda survivors. and yeah. drove them home without a single incident with 2,000 registered drivers. A lot of that, most of that was credit to your website that you set up. Uh, before with you, you did that on the side. I remember you setting it up in 24 hours, the scheduling for the drivers and well, stuff yeah. like that. Well, it was uh, no, teleservice work. Yeah, it was teleservice work. But you hooked me up. I remember with Brian, and uh, it was it was an yeah. amazing, amazing time. But the star of that show for me was social media. I was like, mm. this could not have happened without social media. So from there, I started thinking, wow, this is this is where it is. So it gave me the confidence to launch in January 15 of 2014, my own website. And that was the beginning of my journey to build a personal brand. Procast by Parts Pro is brought to you by Mendocoro Ramenba, Pilipinas Messerve, and PSA Helpline. You're listening to Procast by Parts Pro. Because I felt that this is... This is where I'm at a crossroad where I've hit a ceiling and I think, well, I was a salaried employee, so it, it's definitely a ceiling and I was enjoying it. I was having the time of my life, but I was also enjoying radio. I didn't leave radio because I didn't like it. I didn't leave radio because I didn't like the people. I left radio because I couldn't earn what I needed to earn to keep my family in the, the manner that I felt they were, they deserved. So I had to mm -hmm. look and take that risk, and I put the plank out, and I stepped off the plank, as they say. It didn't end up as fairy tale as I thought it would be, because you know I, I ended up. The first year was a bit of a disaster, and um, I lost a lot of momentum there. But it also, I think, you know, you, you need these things uh, because it basically propelled me into just working doubly hard, because now I had to really double down in it. And then I started building my personal brand online and I started harnessing everything that I had. I felt that I had equity in or built equity in, which was, you know, I had more experience than anyone I knew in the driving world of motoring journalism locally, except for maybe Kevin, who, you know, was with me every step of the way and had probably more. Um, but yes, I had that in the bank. I had also these contacts. I had a following. I had some influence. So I thought, mm. this is where you have to monetize it for yourself. This is where you need to put something down for your own family and for yourself. And so with a heavy heart, you know, I, I did ask them, I mean, I, it, we're all friends here, but well, let's be honest, it, it caused some friction, you know, and it, we, we didn't end, yeah. I didn't end well with everybody with most I did, but you know, there was friction, there was tension, there was pain. There was a lot of hurt. Remember we grew up together. That was a family more than a business. And, um, you know, I can, I can look back and understand why, but it's the same thing when your kids leave home, you know, you, it's going to cause you pain, but inevitably, if you love them, you want to see them, they have to, they have to go on their own. They have mm -hmm. to, they have to grow up and you, you can't chew their food for them all the time, you know? So most of them got it and, um, wished me well. And I, I ended up doing this and then doing it online and building your own brand. And then I got CNN. And then after CNN, mm. it opened a few more doors. And, and I kept my newspaper column for a little while until I got the workload got too much. 
but I kept exposed in the different tri-media areas. And then before yeah. you knew it, you built yourself up into a position where you become the default person for motoring, or you become the top of mind mm. face for motoring. And that was the goal. The goal was to, when you think cars and transport and motoring, you think James Deacon, because he's always out there and he's always, he's, mm-hmm. he puts yep. his face out, there, puts his identity out there. He puts it, he sticks, you know, he's not, I didn't want to be afraid of, you know, taking a stand on issues. I didn't try to compete with people breaking news. I wanted to compete with breaking down the news, you know, where people would wait for your yep. opinion on something rather than, whoa, was he first? You know, that's a, that's a very fickle game to play, especially if you're just a one-man show. But where was the value? The value lied in what people, the people place value in your opinion. So they were willing to wait a day or two about something. What do you think about it? Because of trust. And the trust is something that is built up over decades, you know. And I didn't realize this till later, but with a 20-year, or when I left, it was a 14-year, 12-year career or something with C, I remember it, it, it hit me later on that there were kids there, kids that grew up reading you. I mean, mm. when you read me, Rafi, you know me. So, you know, half of it, you really yeah. go, I, yeah, bullshit, yun. you know, because you know me, you know, we, we know each other. <laughs> but when you are a when you read. Cars, yeah. Throughout the 2000s, yeah, staple of C Magazine. And when you grow up and you're a kid with formative with a formative brain and you're reading somebody we, month after month for years, it's a different kind of loyalty, man. It's a different kind of influence yeah. you have over that person. And so when I learned the heart, when I learned the, the importance of that and I learned the gravity of that, I really started to okay, map out my my career and my my influence. What what do, what does the brand stand for? And I treated myself like a brand, like anything else. It was awkward at first because you feel like a bit of a, is this narcissistic? Is this, uh, I mean, what if people laugh at you? What if you open a page and you only get 100 followers, 500 followers? Then that's, you know, you could say, well, you got to start somewhere. I said, yes, you do. But I'm in the business of influence. And if you only have three or 400 followers, uh, that's hard to convince people. So you take that risk. But. I applied it and I applied it and I applied it every day, every day, every day. And every time I came out, whether it was writing an article, whether it was on TV, whether it was on a podcast, no matter where I put my face or words publicly, I wrote or acted like that was the one chance that I had to break, like my brother's wedding. Mm -hmm. Every article I Mm -hmm. wrote, I treated like my brother's wedding because I knew that it's going to be somebody's first time to read me. It's going to be somebody's first time to experience me hosting. And you don't know who that person is. Just like I didn't know Bea was in the audience that day. Just like I didn't know that Rose Libunko, if I can remember her name correctly, it's going back a long time from the intercon was there that day. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. But you have to act like they're there every single time. Because conversely, that person could be there when you totally screw up and you don't care. And that's the only impression they have of you. So that's something I like to pass on to people because you have to have that consistency. You just have to have that consistency. Advertising, branding, marketing, it's about consistency. This is how it works. It's reinforcement, reinforcement, reinforcement. 
a brand is nothing but uh, an experience, a trusted experience. It stands for trust. It yes. stands for an experience, right? That you can expect from that. So I had to learn things like mission and vision. What are you trying to do? As again, like I said, being a person and not a product, you feel awkward about this until you realize the same principles apply. And so I got myself eventually a manager and uh, we together, well, I had a couple of hit and miss in the beginning, of course, you, 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 you got to stumble a little bit, but my current manager, Erica, um, we built yeah, this. What a girl. Last, what a girl. I mean, you know, I found somebody with, with, with equal drive. I found somebody who was equally committed, somebody with another point to prove that's completely separate to mine, but, you know, from the same hunger. There, she had her own her own story, and it dovetailed perfectly. So when when the perfect storm came, or the, I wouldn't say storm, but the, when it dovetailed, you're coming from all of this momentum. I'm talking about all those things that before I used to kind of think were a handicap. All of a sudden, are now my biggest assets: the survival, mm -hmm. you know, being able to survive, the coping mechanisms, being able to pivot, not being afraid to be broke, even though it's more painful to have it and lose it. I was evicted from my house in nine. Well, we were all evicted. So I literally had no place to live in 2000 and 2000, the year 2000. It was around June. I had no place to live. I didn't. Ha and I had 12,000 a month. My parent, my mom was not in a position at the time to help because she was also, we were in the same boat. We were all in the same boat. And I was this close, uh, if you can picture me putting my fingers together, uh, mm -hmm. I was this close to calling my in-laws and saying in the year 2000, you were right, man, I was wrong, you know, I failed you, you can... Um, Talaga, huh? Yeah, man, yeah. Um, I'm glad there's no video here because, you know, it, it, my face doesn't lie when I tell this story because it really, you know, it brings back all those memories yeah, of, 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 of failure, you know, and... As a father, you're only tasked with one job, which is to provide for your family, and that's it. Mm -hmm. You can be anything else. Just, just don't fuck up there. And I fucked up there. You know, I, I, I don't know if you're allowed to say that, but I messed up. You are there, here. You know? Okay. All right. Wasn't sure if you're PG, but I did, man. And you know, it eats at your soul. You're like, God, man, what a loser. But. Something happened then, you know, um, something happened and I was able to make ends meet. It was a miracle by, because I remember, I can even go back to this story if it, if it interests you, but I remember sitting in the radio yeah. station, looking out the window one day, completely like, I mean, I was looking out, but I didn't see anything, but just like black. I mean, I couldn't see anything. It was just dark. It was broad daylight, but it was just literally and figuratively dark. I mean, like, I was just like, what am I going to do? And that was when I was thinking about calling my, my in-laws and saying, you know what? Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. So I, I messed up. I, I can't take care of your daughter apparently. And, um, and my son too. So, you know, maybe you can take them for a little while and then I'll, I'll, I'll go back when it's, you know, I didn't know what I was thinking anymore. I was desperate. And then my boss mm -hmm. came up to me and she said to me, Hey, what you thinking there? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I'm moving house and looking for a place. And, you know, I didn't share the story. So, of course, they were like, oh, how exciting. Oh, my God, I love moving house. Oh, my God, you should you should rent my sister's place. I was like, what? 
Where's your sister's place? Greenbelt. Oh my God, it's so near the mall. I was like, <laughs> do you remember how much you pay me? <laughs> I don't know if I can afford the parking there. So um, maybe we give that a miss. But somehow, something weird happened. She said, no, 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 it's like this. You see, my sister, Nadine, was the shift right after my shift. I was six to nine and she was nine to 12. And she said she wanted to take six weeks off and she wanted to go and live in Boracay for six weeks with her family. And she didn't right. have anyone to take over her show. And she said, if you take over my show, I'm renovating my apartment in six weeks time. So if you don't mind taking it as is, it's only a studio. And I think it was a 22 square meter studio um, by memory. It was really, really, really small. And it's only mm. a small studio, yet not, but you can only have it for six weeks. Because after six weeks, I'm tearing it down and re rebuilding it, right? So I took it Shit. for six weeks. And okay, the payment oh. for it, yeah, the payment was... This is like one of those places along Rada, right? Uh, no, it was uh, Prince Plaza. Um, oh, Prince Plaza too. Prince yeah, Plaza yeah, yeah, yeah. on the corner. You know yeah, that one? Yeah, the corner. Yeah, because I, I went to AIM right? for my MBA. My classmates give this. Yeah, that yeah it's, where... very, it's so close to there. It's, um, it's, it's a... It was an okay building. It had like a 20 square meter apartment, but yeah. Um, yeah so I lived a... there for six weeks. Hmm. But it was enough to get me, this is what happened in those six weeks. Um, I was able to save up. So remember, broke all my life or since I got robbed by that maid. <laughs> broke all that time. Had not enough to like pay for parking and stuff like that, barking from undoming and all that. Then the business of my mom went sour. Everything, everything fell apart. And then now I'm I'm in this place, but I was so desperate. And we talk about emotional memories. There's nothing more powerful than an emotional memory. When you get kicked out of a place and you feel that, you never want to go back there again. And the only reason I tell you this is not for sympathy or anything. I don't, it's it's in the past, but it it's like a corriente that you'll never go back to. So mm -hmm, it does mm -hmm. two things. Stop One, you'll always make sure that, yes, you'll always make sure that you, you maintain your path to that freedom that you, you know, so never get back there again. And another thing is, in the back of your mind, you know that if it ever happens again, as sucky as it is, and as much as it would be awful, it won't kill you. Because you've been there, you faced that monster. Mm -hmm. You looked down the barrel of that gun before, and yeah. that's yeah. the best you got. You, you couldn't kill me. Well, good luck killing me now. That's the attitude that it can give you. Because you're like, you're the fear of the unknown is the most powerful. When you're scared of something you've never experienced before, it can paralyze you. So if you're if you've had money all your life, but the threat of going bankrupt might just be enough for you to just do anything because you're just too scared of what might possibly happen. But when you've been there, sure, you don't want to go back there. Sure, you're going to do everything you can not to. But you know in the back of your mind it won't kill you. And if anything, it'll just make you stronger. So in those six weeks that I was in that apartment, I managed to save up enough to get a three-bedroom home in Merville. And so for my wife and kid and myself, three-bedroom home, mm -hmm. and I had 100,000 pesos saved up in just those six weeks. Um, that's when I shook my booty, man. <laughs> that's when I learned to really shake my booty. And I, I got, this was my schedule. Six to nine, I was on air for my show. 
I took over in the Dean yeah. show at 9 to 12. So I was on air six hours. From 12 to 6 p.m., I was selling for the radio station. I would go into all the ad agencies and sell all the packages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I would go back to the radio station at 7 o'clock at night, and I would be the production manager from 7 to whenever I finished my work, which is 1 or 2 in the morning. I would sometimes sleep oh, in the station. Wait. I would get back up at 6 a.m. I did this for six weeks straight. But in that time, I was able to close many deals, but one deal in particular was in Nestle, Philippines. I'll never mm -hmm. forget this story because I was in the elevator in Rockwell and we were doing presentations and I was with Bea and the team and the rest of the, the sales team. And back then, if you remember the early 2000s, when you did presentations, yeah. you walked around with your own projector. You walked around oh, yeah. with your own screen. You had, oh, yeah. You needed a production crew just to do a PowerPoint presentation. Oh, yes. And yeah, yeah. Wow, PowerPoint. Big time. Exactly. So, yeah, sometimes <laughs> they animated. Because uh, before that, it was... No, before, uh, before that, that, it was acetate, clear book. Clear, acetate yeah. and clear book. <laughs> exactly. So, there we were with all my bit bit in the elevator. And I, I was carrying like a projector and a screen and all this kind of, I look like a Christmas tree, man. And um, I, this guy walks into the elevator, foreigner, opens up. And you know how foreigners are, you know, they're very chatty, <laughs> especially if they see somebody yeah. that, some, one of their own, like he's like, oi. <laughs> this yeah, guy yeah. looks uh, like <laughs> <he might laughs> <be mixed>. <laughs> 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 So he was, he was South African and he goes, I don't do a good South African accent, but he goes, so what are you lot selling? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, was just, it was just making conversation, I guess, because I had, I looked like a freaking traveling market, no? So he goes, what are you lot selling? And I said, what are you buying? <laughs> <laughs> this, you know how tall the Nestle building is? I think it's seventh floor. Yeah. It's small. So that elevator ride is the ultimate elevator pitch because he's like, <laughs> so go, what are you selling? <laughs> And he goes, well, as a matter of fact, I've been having this problem with my confectionery campaign. You think you can help me? I said, you've come to the right place. <laughs> and he said, here's my card. Call me tomorrow and let's do something. You know what? The next day I went to his, to his office. I sat there. I pitched the thing. He signed 1.5 million pesos in right there, right there and there. And there. He said, write me up something. I'm signing today. I said, I don't have a contract. He said, write it out. Write it out. He said, but here's the condition. The only reason I'm giving it to you is because I've had an agency work on this for three months. And nothing's happened yet. I need to get this campaign on by Monday. And I said, but it's Thursday. <laughs> he said, then you better get cracking then, son. <laughs> and I was All like, right. okay. I went back to the production studio and I made him an ad. It's a new year, new you with Nestle Philippines, blah, blah, blah. Win a trip to Toronto. Sent it to him. Well, I, back then I would physically go. You didn't email that. I would go with a cassette tape. And then, is this okay? Yeah. Run it. So I sold him the package for 1.5. I made the ad for him by myself. I, vo I voiced it. Okay. I produced it. I cut it. I made Production, it. And yeah. then, And then Monday morning, 6 a.m., I was the on-air jock that played it. <laughs> Oh, and then he was so happy with it. He said, you know what he said to me? Can you do the live draw on SOP, <laughs> which is that noontime show? 
Boot job, yeah, yeah. live drawing SOP. And here's our representative <laughs> from Nestle Philippines. Welcome up, James Deacon. Uh, hello, everybody. And our DTI permit guy. <laughs> there I was, man. But I got 15% of that. I got 15% because we didn't go agency. Problem was, it kind sure. of screwed me with yeah. the agencies. But it screwed me with the agencies. I mean, you've worked with agencies. You know. They sure. didn't like me after 17. that. 17.5%. Sila, seventeen point five percent sila plus media no media buying cut. Procast by Parts Pro is brought to you by Motul Philippines, KW Suspensions, DTE Chip Tuning Philippines, Roto Wheels, and Nito Tires Philippines. You're listening to Procast by Parts Pro. Exactly. So if I went direct the radio station would give me 15%. Yes. If I went through an agency, it was like four or three. So yes. now it was a tricky thing because it was a big agency and <laughs> I was a small guy and there was a little bit of egg on their face and pahiyatness. So they blacklisted mm. me. So I, I knew that, okay, that might be the last big commission you're going to get. So I had to figure something out too. And that's also one of the mm. reasons why I also decided, one, I couldn't sustain that workload of, you know, working from 6 a.m. to like 1 a.m. Um, it just couldn't, you know, burn out. And, um, yeah, I, I realized that at this stage, I might have problems with the agencies. So there, um, sure. that's what got me started. But from, the, from there, I got the three-bedroom place. Uh, I kept plodding along for the next 12 years with C Magazine. Um, like I said, I had a very rich life in terms of experience, but... Financially, I was still a salaried employee and I needed to figure a way out of that because I couldn't see anymore the value or logic in swapping my time for money. It just didn't seem like a get rich quick plan or get rich mm -hmm. plan. I, 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 you get only rich have at all. 20 plan. Yeah. Get rich at all. I mean, if, you, if you're swapping your time for money and you got 24 in a day, you need eight for sleep and maybe another eight for, for other things, you're really only, what, selling eight to 12 hours a day. What are you going to get for your hourly rate? You can't think that way. So it changed my mindset. I took the plunge. I took a risk. And you do have to take risks. There are no guarantees here. And then I, I just built it knowing that this can't fail. This can't fail. So when it failed, I just didn't accept it and said, well, let's find a way for it to not fail. And then by 2015, it started picking up and picking up and picking up and picking up and picking up. And then I just kept riding that wave and riding that wave. And then that's where later on I started also realizing that, you know, this is something that also probably has a use by date um, because you can't just, is the world's moving so fast. I used to think it, they were in seven-year cycles. Now they're very fast. I mean, you could be mm -hmm. flavor of the month for a while and then a pariah <laughs> next month. I almost yeah. experienced that in 2018. So I know what that feels like. Shout out to Tony. Um, <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> so I figured you got to spread yourself out a little bit here. You got to diversify. That's when I got into investing and stuff like that. So now I'm trying to plant the seeds for a future where my money works for me now instead of the other way around. So, That's okay. It. So that was one uh, question. That was a long, to, long answer. <laughs> no, 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 no. Fast, fast forward to today. So we, are, we, we, we know how you lived and we know how you got to the three bedroom in Merville and whatever. So 
um, just so you know, just so everyone knows and the listeners. I mean, I know where you live and whatever. But what's it like for you today? And what's your money plan to keep you, you know, keep you growing money wise in the future? And um, I know what your answer is there. And um, we have Jake here to 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 help uh, make more sense of that for our our listeners. Go ahead, James. All right. Well, I mean. It's only been the last four years, perhaps, draft that I, I started to experience a little bit more um, well, outside of the salaried employees' lifestyle. So um, there were some big dips in the beginning, but then, okay, I was able to put aside a little bit. I didn't understand anything about finance, so that's just my weakest point. I, I'm very, I have a creative brain. Um, I don't think that way numbers bother me. They, they, they're very boring. But... Like anything, you got to grow up. You know, you can't just sort of say, well, that's not me. Because, well, that's what children do, right? Adults, they try to improve themselves and they try to learn new skills. And I realized that this was something I had to learn. I also saw that things were around the world getting pretty scary because um, I was just like, there's so much uncertainty and there's so much. So I figured, all right, how am I going to? So I asked my son. My son was talking to me about crypto and um, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Of course, you know, it sounded like Jack and the Beanstalk and bad buying these magic beans and magic coins. And well, what do you do with them? You're going to plant them. They grow to the moon. How does this work again? And he was just like, no, you have to understand the, the, the business model, what, what problems they're trying to solve. And that became one of the best and most exciting rabbit holes I've ever gone down because when you start investing in especially Bitcoin, um, it was really just to get exposed is all I wanted to do, just to have an alternative and get exposed. And when I did, it opens up this, all these rabbit holes where you go down and you realize, oh my gosh, this is the financial system. It's like sausages. Once you see how, how it's made, you don't want to ever go back to that again because it's very complex, right? You've got if we use the US as an example, which is our global reserve currency, what they're doing with their money printing and their monetary policy is just one big balloon waiting to burst. And that's either mm -hmm. going to go into a hyperinflation model or a, a severely deflated model to try to protect their reserve currency status. And it's going to drive that into a major recession. So how do you hedge? Do you put in the stock market? Well, traditionally, yes. But if the fiat currency and the U.S. dollar is hyperinflated, then the stock market is going to crash too because that that's all out of whack. It's on the same. I mean, it's on the same model. Absolutely, you're 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 just using you know uh, hollow money to buy real assets. At some point, that they're going to catch up with it, and it's being artificially pumped, as we know, since 2008 because of their quantitative easing. And you learn these things after a while because you're like, oh my god. Then you understand geopolitics. You understand the sovereignty of money and how it should be custodial and how this empowers people. Then you understand about the unbanked community and the potential that you unleash when you give these people access to a system, a system that's decentralized and not censorable. These things really open your eyes and you're like, oh my God, this is, this is mind-blowing stuff. So it's not necessarily the investment per se in money. I mean, yes, who doesn't want to make money? And of course, I'm expecting the return at some point. But my term is my my view is so long term, it's it's Ken Kintal levels of long term. I'm looking down the track because I want I looked at investment as a problem I'm trying to solve, not the money I'm trying to make. 
And the problem I was eventually addicted to trying to solve, or at least be a part of, is this financial independence and personal sovereignty that we can give people over the money. Because once you have control over your own money, that's it. You, the governments cannot control you anymore. They have, you are now a customer to them. But when it's the other way around and you're born into the system, voila, na, dude. And you know how the world's going now with digital currency, CBDCs and stuff like that. Soon, before you know it, you know, they will have the capacity, whether they use it or not, that depends on your political beliefs, but they will have the capacity to censor your money, tell you where and when you can spend it, then they can control you over that. So um, I got excited with that, and that's where I'm spending most of my, my investments and time now, is there. That, that, Jake, that Jake what, yeah, you're, yeah I'd, I'd like Jake to weigh in on the topic. <laughs> That that escalated quickly from C Magazine to your history. That escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Like, like what? Biglang biglang naging crypto yung usapan and like yeah, that's 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 one of my areas of expertise. I guess I'd like to say I'd like to think. Um, we're actually like starting a company revolving around DeFi investments now. If you're familiar, uh, around DeFi, so decentralized finance. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not sure if you're in that deep yet with regards to the rabbit hole. Are you? Yeah, I'm. I'm already. I mean, like I, I've got um, some tokens of like FTM, and uh, yeah, I'm starting to get into the DeFi space. That's like a layer two now for me, no? Yeah. Um, I spent my time with layer one because I, I'm trying to understand each investment. I don't want to go in chasing the money and the candles and the green candles and the red candles and the Fibonacci curves and all that. Um, yeah, they sound impressive in cocktail parties, but we're no longer going to cocktail parties. So, true, true, true. true. <laughs> way, I agree. Amen. The way I see it is understand first what you're trying to do Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Bitcoin. These are layer one technologies. I see Bitcoin more as a store of value than anything else, true. not a currency. Then I look at Ethereum, Cardano, and Solana as these blockchains will. In the beginning, I couldn't understand. I was thinking, well, if you have Solana, why would you get Ethereum? It's a lot slower. And that's like asking, well, may Ed Sakana, bakit may C5 pa? Bakit may Slex pa? <laughs> it, these are roads that are going to get congested that you'll need. You One will not cope. Two will not cope. Ten will not cope. This is the internet of money. And on top of that, the internet of greater things that we can't even think of right now. But if it just is the internet of money, you're going to need more than one or two or ten and big ones. And then yep. you're going to get into this stage where you're going to start investing in the bridges that connect these so that these layer ones like Ethereum and Cardano and Solana, you won't care, just like you don't care what brand of router you use. You get internet, you turn on your phone, it downloads your, mm-hmm. your TikTok. Oh, okay now, happy now. <laughs> Why do you want to go back and find out what brand of router? You don't ask that. You don't ask the waiter. Boss, boss, and that's the layer two for me, but I'm still way behind. So you can educate me. Have you have you dived into like uh, NFTs, ERC seventy one? Um, Not yet. You know, I've dived in only. My only exposure to NFT is I recently invested in with a guy called Luis Buenaventura, um, who does this NFT. Now? Sorry? Yeah, he's with YGG now, like Yield Guild Games. Exactly. Exactly. So he, he started an F, NFA, NFT crypto art guild 
where he's supporting these young artists that don't have the knowledge or capacity or finances to get them onto the NFT um, craze, right? He's going to help them as being the first Filipino NFT, as far as I know, first NFT artist Filipino that sold a NFT. He's going to help them do that. So I invested in that, but I don't really understand it. I know it's big and I know it's going to be huge, but I, I, I'm still wrapping my head around the use case of it. In a nutshell, but I do understand. In a nutshell, basically, it's like, it's like a card collection, like a basketball card collection or an art collection, basically. So every single piece is numbered and you will only have these like numbered pieces all throughout uh, the lifetime, unless the provider or whoever, whoever licensed them like will mint more. Like you call it mint as opposed to like creating some, right? So if there's an artist that you, I, I, there's an artist that I follow. I'm not sure if you guys know him, uh, Daniel Arsham. So he's no. one, of the, uh, one of the artists that uh, creates like eroding figures, not erotica, not erotica. I, I, I didn't say Ero anything. Eroding. I just want to be clear about that. I want. <laughs> I want to be clear about that. So uh, he also created an NFT. So he's really an artist. So he creates like Porsches, pero eroding Porsches. So I can like link that in the description uh, later for you guys to be able to check it out. But uh, that's one art piece that I'm. Uh, I'm really looking at, I'm really aspiring to have like one of these days, like I want to be uh, able to get one of those. Uh, but he also like dove into the NFT space. We're creating um, NFT art. And so he's originally an artist. So he he went on and jumped onto the hype and and eventually minted his own one. So there's a lot of, it's a, it's a crazy world out there. Like there's there's what you call a metaverse, right? So it's basically- That's what excites me. Yeah, it's basically uh, Ready Player One, the movie and the the book. Basically, yeah. it's, it's something like that in essence. That's the part that gets me all excited because um, I I can see it already happening, and I can see the values of NFT. Let's say when you are in this metaverse and you do have the the Nike shoes or the whatever Supreme jacket mm -hmm. on, and people know that that's real. It's no different to the real world. We're not buying it because the Supreme hoodie is actually warmer than the Oakley hoodie. It's we know that, right? <laughs> it, it's we're signaling. We're signaling. Okay. So social there's no currency. difference. It's exactly so, so. This social currency will actually be even easier to track because you can go and say, "Tunay ba yung relo ni Rafi David yan? Pahaber nga? Oi, peka yun galing Green Hills pala." You know, you can check. <laughs> <laughs> Publicly, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's, it's kind yeah. of um, it's kind there's, of uh, mind blowing. There's one that you guys should check out. Like, I'm not sure if you guys. Well, I'm pretty sure you guys are not into like crypto like as deep as me. But uh, F1 is actually involved in the crypto space also. Uh, it's called F1 Delta Time. I'm not sure if James, you've you've heard that. Um, but that's something maybe you you want to look into maybe to get you started with NFTs because the thing that started with uh, with me is basically the NBA like NBA Top Shot on the Flow blockchain and everything so that's basically the the starting point for me and the, the springboard basically for me for everything else um, for you guys I guess I'd like to think that majority of you guys are really the the car guys talaga in the in the conversation I'm I'm just a kumaga parang ampon lang ako and now i'm starting to learn everything uh thanks Laga. thanks to Ao and, and boss rap <laughs> uh yeah so you guys might want to check out f1 delta time it's it's nfts 
crypto, but it's it's really about cars. So I'm starting to go into wow. that. Wow. Yeah, I, I saw some ad the other day about crypto cars. So it was quite. Mm, what, what do they mean by that? But it's it's definitely the way of the future. I just don't know personally. I haven't gone down that rabbit hole yet of how I can utilize it, but I'm very open-minded to it because it does make a lot of sense. I just need to find a, a good use case for me personally, for me to invest. Cause that's my philosophy now in investing is don't invest in anything you don't completely understand because even if let's say break even, but even if break even, I've still gained so much just from this journey. So I'll be perfectly happy because I would have gotten a free education that I don't think I could have gotten anywhere else. So happy now, just, just don't get me wrecked or wiped out. And I'll be, I will, even if it never rises to all those moon prices we keep talking about, I'll mm -hmm. be okay. That's fine. Yeah. Amen to that. Man, what did we tell you? I told you it's going to be a jam-packed episode. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, that's your very famous automotive guy, James Deacon, in the house. So, obviously, um, it was bitten. Uh, we'd love to have him back. We already invited him back. If we get enough listeners for this pod, uh, he's definitely going to come back. Right? So, um, join us in pushing for more uh content like this uh listen subscribe follow uh, listen to the old episodes we thank you for staying in we thank you for tuning in uh we appreciate you guys keep on listening team parts pro baby good night thank you for tuning in to procast by parts pro catch you all again on our next episode